Now a lot of us are preachers, and all of us have our moral convictions and concerns, and so often we have problems with power. There is nothing wrong with power if power is used correctly. What is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive, and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best. Power at its best is love, implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is love, correcting everything that stands against love. And this is what we must see as we move on. Welcome to this episode of Raise a Glass, the podcast where we discuss the stories and storytellers that shape us. Uh, And today, in honor of Martin Luther King Day, we are talking about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Mm. But before we get into that conversation, I got to know... What's in your glass, Eric? Yeah, thanks, Hunter. Um, today, I, uh, I was kind of like running around and feeling a little bit of that stress of life. Um, yeah. And so I made the decision to have some tea. Nice. Um, and so I actually have a chai tea um, that I put some like heavy cream uh, in and then hot water and then the chai, like the tea bag. So I'm about to try it now and see if that was worth it or if it was like, grossly... Uh, a big misstep. We'll see. Mm. That's pretty good. I probably should have put another three bags of chai, but yeah, it's, it's uh, all right. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, out of my jelly uh, mug, it's, it's a piece <laughs> of bread with jelly on it. We've got another one that's peanut butter. Yeah, uh, and the mug say "You complete me." Peanut butter. Oh, jelly. nice. It's very yeah. cute. Very cute. Hunter, how about you? What's in your glass? Well, I was thinking similar thoughts about my drink, but I went in a different direction. (laughs) Kind of a long day. Um, So I have some top box wine, red blend. Um, It looks like there's a lot more than there is because I put an ice cube in it um, and it melted. But top box, boxed wine, uh, Pretty pretty easy drinking, red red wine blend. But <laughs> it's from our uh, our very own sommelier, uh, yes. Andrew Danson. <laughs> yeah, you're wiping out your mustache. It's- yeah, I, I gotta shave at some point. It gets <laughs> it just gets to the point where it's it gets in the way eating and drinking, mm. and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I just gotta. I can honestly say I've never had that problem. <laughs> Maybe one day. Uh, are you pouring pouring one out or raising a glass this week? Well, I always do. So um, I was kind of on the same thought process of the decision to make the tea. I'm going to raise a glass today to breathing. Um, <laughs> you know, not just for the obvious reasons of, you know, without it, we would cease to to live um but the way in which (sighs) taking a deep breath 
Um, sometimes I'll do a, I mean, not too often, but sometimes I'll do a breath prayer where I'll pray one sentence as I'm breathing in and another sentence as I'm breathing out. Um, and the way that that can ground me um, and that can be very grounding, very stabilizing almost <laughs> process. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to pour one out for uh, large couches. <laughs> so it's a fact that I love helping people move. That is a fact mm -hmm. about me. Um, I realize I'm in a small minority of voices when it comes to that <laughs> opinion. I love it. Um, <clears throat> one thing I do not love is moving a large couch mm. into the back of a small -er truck while your child is crying and you're hangry and you're not communicating well with your spouse. Um and things aren't fitting the way that the math that you did said they should fit. Yeah. Um, and so you uh, use a lot of tie downs and uh, <laughs> hope for the best. And so uh, that is what uh, necessitated my raising a glass to breathing. Yeah. Hunter, how about you? Well, I'm pouring one out for uh, Amazon's abysmal support of their older Kindles, mm. the Kindle e-readers. Uh, we had, we, we've got an old like second generation one and it only has like the 3G service and uh, Amazon, come to find out, discontinued the 3G service wah, in wah, 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 wah. like 2021 or something. Uh, so you can't sync it anymore. There's there's mm. no way to sync it. Um, you can still use it manually with the USB cable, and um, if you know where to get ebook files, um, you can put them on there. But uh, the, so my family had like an extra one that had Wi-Fi, and they were gonna let me use it, and I was trying to get it to work. And uh, couldn't log in with my account. Reset mm. my password. Tried a dozen times. Like apparently, you're supposed to get a authentication email with a code from Amazon or something. I I didn't, never got one. Still, um, and I had to try like three, four different USB cables to get it to work with my computer. So, because I I like to. Um, proofread on paper but I can't print out a whole book so uh, you know a, a Kindle e or an e-reader e-ink e-reader is the next closest thing to paper mm. yeah but uh, just just this, this support from a multi-billion com dollar company is just just horrible like they just want you to buy a new one really and it's just uh, it's got to pour one out but uh, I, I'm raising a glass to my local library okay. uh, because I was in there and uh, I had, they had like a little book request sheet and I had written down my book, uh, 
like a month or so ago and I totally forgot about it. And then I walked in and I saw it on the shelf. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it was it was like the first time I'd seen my book on a shelf that wasn't mine. <laughs> and it wasn't <laughs> or, just vertical. It was you got the horizontal. Yeah, it spread. was in the new fiction section. I I went in again and I signed it. Um, you did? Oh, I'm I so did. Glad. Yeah. Were they excited? Were they? Did, I did I think yeah. They were like yeah. We'll put a local author sticker on it, and they're like you know if you ever want to do a talk or something, uh, you know let us know. What? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, That's well, pro- awesome. Yeah. So they, our, our library is awesome. They have a 3D printer that I've been sort of utilizing as well. And the, and the guy there is just so nice and friendly and so helpful. Um, and, and they just do a lot of great stuff. So Douglas Library, thumbs up, raising a glass. That's great. If you haven't had a, a chance yet to listen to our, the last episode of season one, um, we uh, raise a class to Hunter Danson and Dawn Must Follow Night, uh, which is the mm-hmm. first of a series of, of uh, fantasy books, uh, fantasy sci-fi. What would you? Yeah, it's a fantasy fantasy book, dark fantasy uh, that Hunter has authored and is in the process of writing um really good really enjoy it uh definitely worth a purchase of the book and also worth listening to the episode um i learned a lot actually in that episode i was uh uh in case you um you know didn't get a chance to listen to it like hunter not only writes songs in his books but is in the process of creating the songs to go along with the words in the books. And so he actually gives us a little bit of a, a preview to a, a song in book two. Um, so definitely worth listening with checking out. Um, go for it. Thank you. My, my number one hype man. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I do really appreciate it. Uh, oh, I love it. So yeah. I, I think I love the way you write and I, I really enjoy the way you think, um, even uh, maybe especially as it um, challenges me. Mm. Uh, well, sure. speaking of challenging, um, this is a storyteller that you suggested and that you mm. wanted to do. Um, and I have to admit, I, I was, uh, a little, little intimidated, not, not cause like listening to Martin Luther King and reading him, but more talking about him, uh, because I don't feel quite as qualified as maybe I should to do a podcast on it. Mm. But you said that, that, you know, he means a lot to you and then you've had a lot of great conversations. Um, do you want to talk about why, why you wanted to do talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Today? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so first of all, I'm really, really excited for this conversation. We have only, I think ever talked about one other storyteller. Most of our conversations are about stories. Mm-hmm. Um, right. We did an episode on Tolkien and talked about him as a storyteller. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I couldn't decide on one particular speech or writing of Martin Luther King Jr.'s. And so uh, I really wanted to focus on him as a storyteller um, because I straight up believe that I, I don't think there's anybody who's impacted our country more than Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are many people that might have impacted it as much as Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, and, and, and like the, the way we talk about stories and storytellers is not simply somebody who writes a book and publishes it. Um, like we have a very, very robust view of a storyteller um, and a story. Yeah. And the, I, I don't know if there's a better storyteller in our country's history mm. than Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and his ability to synthesize so many different storytellers and so many different stories together into a, a specific cultural moment. Uh, but that's not the question you asked. You asked why do I want to bring it to Martin, bring up Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I have, I'm sure this isn't going to sound that, that interesting or that, that unique. I've always mm-hmm. loved learning about Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and as I was reflecting on it, and, and I'm sure uh, everybody, anybody who's listened to multiple episodes of our podcast hears us talk about um, college and grad school and university, whatever, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so I was reflecting on the times when I've kind of spent time reading or listening to Martin Luther King. Um, and I realized in the three years of grad school I did, I three different courses, <laughs> took three different courses that like delved into the writings and speeches of Martin Luther King. Um, yeah. And I've seen the way that I view people, um, view issues of race, view um, the moral fiber of our country. Um, th- a large part of that has been influenced by um, this this incredible doctor, uh, this incredible reverend, this incredible pastor, preacher, teacher, public figure. Um, and... I don't think that it's possible to adequately reflect on the year 2020 um, and the protests and riots and peaceful marches and um, righteous anger Hmm. um, and Backlash. Backlash and changes that happened in our country in that year, in the 2020, 2021, without thinking of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so I I also don't know if I would have been anywhere near as comfortable or confident or those aren't the right words, as willing and like feeling that the necessity to be acting Mm. in those moments and speaking 
um, and really, let's be more honest, listening um, and showing up. Um, I, I don't think that I, I would have been able to do that without spending hours, <laughs> hours upon hours, uh, yeah. listening, reading, and talking about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I actually got the chance in one of my courses to um, dive into a, a comparison of of Martin Luther King and Malcolm and Malcolm X. Mm. Um, and actually one of the books, one of the, one of the five books, six books I have in front of me is called Martin Luther King Jr. Malcolm X and the civil rights struggle of the 1950s and 1960s, a brief history with documents. Mm. Um, and so it's, I, I have a lot of views that are based off of a lot of primary texts. Um, and, 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 one of the other cool things about um, Martin Luther King is that we actually have the opportunity to hear him speak and tell his stories, um, yeah. which is something that's unique among most of those that we've chosen to read. Yeah. Um, or most of the storytellers that we've talked about. Um, and so I, I don't think we've yet talked about a, a storyteller whose primary stories are speeches, hmm. um, are verbal um, pieces. So that's a little yeah. bit, um, my, my, that's where is that? That's a medium bit. Um, yeah. Thank you. Uh, how, how do you want to, <clears throat> how do you want to want this to go? Do you want to start with a particular speech or? Yes. So, or? so I asked us to have, to, to go through four different pieces for today. Did you have a chance to get through them? I did, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so we're going to go through them chronologically, um, and the, the 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 pieces that I chose, um, and and these are four, um, four I think rather relatively important and and diverse choices um, are um, letter from Birmingham Jail, which was written. Let me get the specific date on April sixteenth, nineteen sixty three. So we'll start there and then we are going to move on. And I, for those who, there is a lot that we are not covering. Um, yeah. And, and that's a, a challenge whenever you're making a, a decision to choose a few. And, and we're already not going to have enough time to talk about all four of these in depth. Um, but that's, that's where we're about the stories and storytellers that shape us. And so I think these are four. I think I chose these four for a reason. So that's where we're going to start. We're then going to move to I Have Dream speech, which he gave on uh, August 28th, 1963. Following that, we are going to skip ahead five years uh, or four years to June. Um, well, let me get the specific wording. Uh, June 1967 is um, where do we go from here? Um, and then we're going to end with, um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s last speech, uh, on April 3rd, 1968, uh, called I've been to the mountaintop. Hmm. Um, and so that's, that's the order I'd like to have us go. Um, the first one is written. The other three are all speeches. And so, um, that will probably become evident as we talk about it, um, but what I would recommend, and, and we're, we've made the decision not to have any. Um, clips of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, voice in this episode. Um, 
Yeah, I was uh, reading about the copyright, and it's kind of complicated, and I just didn't want to. I didn't want to make a risky mistake, but I highly recommend going and listening to the speeches. Uh, you can still find them on YouTube. Um, and I, I found an album of like comprehensive Martin Luther King speeches as well. It's just, just the power of, uh, audio, live audio to take you back to that moment in history and, and his words. Yeah. And that's actually another important thing to, to talk about. And it's, it's more evident, um, in talking about, it's going to be more evident in this episode, um, than in others, but it's relevant to all of our episodes is that everything that every story or storyteller we talk about is within a specific time, context, uh, history, um, personality. Um, and so, um, there are pieces that aren't going to relate to us today. Um, the use of the word Negro is not a word that we use. Um, um, and so like at times we might quote and that might be the word that's used. Uh, and so this just, um, just a really, just a, a, this, this is true about every episode, right? We read you know, yeah. or talk about things that are specific times, specific groundings. And so I, I feel like I just, I'm just trying to give a little bit of clarity. Um, I, I'm not trying to give a disclaimer, um, even though there is the disclaimer that we're both white men and that's been the case <laughs> since the beginning of our episodes. And we talk about all sorts of stories and storytellers. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to share before we dive in? Um, I don't know. I, I might have some things to say about my journey with whiteness <laughs> and thinking about whiteness. Um, and privilege, because uh, that's something that I have uh, wrestled with um, in society, and but more importantly, or firstly, uh, you know, in myself and the way that I have thought about race uh, and um, racial injustice. But we'll see. Where we go. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's yeah. Um, I, I also wanted to say, and I realized I'm just, we're just talking a lot before we actually talk, which is true to most of our episodes. Um, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. If I could meet three people from world history, um, I'm not sure who the other two would be, but Martin Luther King Jr. would be in my top three. Um, mm. I would, a large part of the way I go about I have gone about like jobs and kind of next steps in my life is finding people that I want to be like mm. and spent like in trying to be around them. Mm. Um, which is one of the many reasons why I married my incredible wife. Um, <laughs> I just want to be around Melanie. I want her to rub off on me. Um, <laughs> and I want to be a much better listener and communicator among many other things that you know, from her. Um, one of the reasons I spent a lot of time around Martin Luther King Jr. and his speeches and things like that is because I want to be more like him, um, and not just in the way he talks and you know is in his ability to speak, um, but in the way he thinks. I don't, I, he's just such a deep thinker, and so 
As we start, we're going to start with letter from Birmingham Jail. So written in 1963. Um, this is a Pauline letter, um, or a Pauline-esque letter. Uh, that was a yeah. little joke for all those uh, uh, Christian epistle readers out there. Oh, um, yes. So many of you <laughs> uh, will laugh which, at that joke. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, <laughs> this is a letter that Martin Luther King Jr. penned from jail in Birmingham after being arrested for marching uh, in a nonviolent protest. And it is a letter specifically written to white clergymen, um, Christian and Jewish, who had post um, who had um, been in the newspaper or had, you know, uh, calling had out a call for unity was the title of their letter in the new newspaper, and we're calling out Martin Luther King Jr. and what he did. Um, and this is a response from Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, about everything from the logistical reasons why they chose to march to the mm-hmm. political, social, spiritual, <laughs> economic, cultural, historical. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, go for it. I was going to say, I love how he says at the end, uh, I have written a very long letter and he says, um, But what else can one do when he is alone in a narrow jail cell other than write long letters, think long thoughts, and pray long prayers? Mm. So, Hunter, letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, This is something that's just, this is probably the, this is the work I I love the most. Um, Because I feel like it's most specifically, like, part of my journey in conversations with race and Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I feel like in many ways, as I read it, I was like, oh, I, I might have been in that space. Um, I, I, I like to think when I read it that I'm like, no, I would have been in you know the, the small minority of white Christian leaders who would be marching with him at the, towards the beginning, um, yeah. of this time. Um, but in reality, I think I might have been more towards a moderate and, and my hope is that it would have pulled me. Um, just like it has now in the last 10 years um, into like realizing what is the implication of a lived faith look like? What does it look like to live out your faith where you are? Um, And There are so many just, this is just true about everything. Um, Many of the stories and storytellers we talk about, and it's it's equally true, if not more so for Martin Luther King Jr. He, his writing and speaking has so many just pure golden nuggets um, Mm. that that just are timeless. And they're spoken in this specific time to a specific group of people. And yet they're timeless. So like one of the ones that sticks out to me right early on is the statement Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Whatever that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. 
But it really kind of goes back to that initial statement. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yeah. That, that is uh, often quoted. It's, it's one of those quotes that you hear a lot, but it deserves it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there's a lot of quotes you hear a lot that don't really deserve it, but that one does. Yeah. I, we when we talked about um, Macbeth, you went and quoted a lot of things that Shakespeare like said that worked into our vernacular, mm-hmm. and that was hundreds of years ago, right? In fact, now, yeah. Um, I don't know if people realize everything that Martin Luther King Jr. said mm. or restated in such a way that it made it part of the the national conscience, and that's yeah. That's one of the things that many of his speeches do. Um, and and two, of, two of the speeches, well, well anyways, uh, <clears throat> is they, they call people, they call out conscience. <laughs> and they, mm-hmm. they, 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 they call us to think about what's true. And the impact of the demonstrations in Birmingham and the decision to make them nonviolent and the process that Martin Luther King Jr. talks about by which they underwent similar situations to prepare themselves to respond nonviolently to violent oppressors. Yeah. Are part of. Uh, they, they they made it onto national and international news and called to attention to the white majority of people in the United States the clear I don't have a better word than this sin of uh, at that time, at the very least, the Southern institution towards black men and women. Yeah. I was uh, struck. I had read it a long time ago. Uh, and But I was struck this time around just how much thought went into the protests and the nonviolent actions um, and how a lot of the decisions that they made about when to protest, where to protest, how to protest were uh, informed by love. Mm. Like love for this, this city, you know, not wanting to, disrupt them economically by waiting until uh, like after the Christmas season. Um, and, you know, there's also something about the timing of elections and votes mm-hmm. and, um, and uh, I, I kind of listened through that, tried to listen to most of the album of his speeches. And there's one interview where uh, the interviewer asks him about some, Thing that Malcolm X said uh, about 
his nonviolence, uh, and Malcolm X said that it plays into the hands of the oppressor. Um, and Martin Luther King Jr. said that he doesn't view nonviolence and love as a weak force. He views mm. it as the, you know, one of the most powerful forces in the universe. And I think if, if I think he's, he is more than vindicated in that, hmm. that statement. Um, and in the results of his protests and his actions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he goes from there and then he talks about the difference between a just and unjust law. Um, in the process, he quotes Reinhold Niebuhr. He quotes Martin Buber. He, he creates, quotes St. Thomas Aquinas. He, he <laughs> I'm not sure there's anybody who was more widely read <laughs> than Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. I was thinking about this as I was rereading, re 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 reading um, <laughs> this letter um, about like, oh man, what would it take for me to be able to understand all like the depth of what he's saying, given the fact that I'm a white man and I live in the 21st century. Um, and I was thinking about that in terms of reading. I was like, I would have to spend years just reading the names of people he brought up, <laughs> let alone everybody else that wasn't brought up that influenced his writing and speaking. And, and while this is also gold, I want to push us into um, one of what I think is the hardest statements that he makes um, for me to read, or at least the first from the first times I read. Um, if you're following along in the specific book that I'm reading, it's on page 81. And what is the specific book that you're reading? I read Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and the Civil Rights Struggle of the 1950s and 60s. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Martin Luther King uh, shares, uh, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order, in quotation marks, than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice who constantly says, quote, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, end quote, Who's, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a, quote, more convenient season, end quote. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. 
That was a quote that I wrote down. <laughs> and and Martin Luther King Jr. doesn't start with that quote, right? He talks about what the, the aspects of nonviolence and justice and roots it in his faith. And, and, and there are voices out there that I've heard that argue that Martin Luther King Jr. is not a, a Christian, not, uh, yeah, just yada, yada, yada. I, mm. I, I brush those off as just unnecessary and untrue. Um, because I, I don't think it's possible to read and listen to Martin Luther King Jr. without the understanding that what he says and what he is is rooted in a foundation that is not of this world hmm. and is rooted in a love that is not found in the lives of ordinary people. Yeah. without Jesus. And I mean, going back to what I shared about how his uh, decisions about nonviolence were, were informed by love, I could not possibly imagine how hard that would be to do. Mm. To imagine loving the oppressor. <laughs> One of the things I really appreciate about the way Martin Luther King um, speaks Hunter is that he calls out the systems and the way that people are viewed as they are. And so um, a large part of this, this narrative and this conversation around justice is the decision to provide, to do nonviolent direct action in order to, to, to force negotiations um, is a process that is, pushing white America and, and specifically this time Southern Birmingham leaders to move from seeing black men and women as it's as possessions and forcing them to see them as people and not just people, but men with respect and dignity worth, um, you know, because they're made humans, um, and 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 that's and that's where Martin Buber talks about moving from I its relationship to I thou. Fascinating. Dive deeper into that as you want to. Um, that's also where he calls out the the letter that he's responding to. by talking about, well, he goes to this whole piece and I'm just going to read the last um, couple sentences, a few sentences. Um, I'm just going to paragraph. Let's be honest. <laughs> In your statement, you assert that our actions, even though peaceful must be condemned because they precipitate violence. But is this a logical assertion? Isn't this like condemning a robbed man because his possession of money precipitated the evil act of robbery? Isn't this like condemning Socrates because his unswerving commitment to truth and his philosophical inquiries precipitated the acts by the misguided populace in which they made him drink hemlock? 
Isn't this like condemning Jesus because his unique God consciousness and never ceasing devotion to God's will precipitated the evil act of crucifixion? We must come to see that, as the federal courts have consistently affirmed, it is wrong to urge an individual to cease his efforts to gain his basic constitutional rights because the quest may precipitate violence. Society must protect the robbed and punish the robber. We will, I'm going to call it different themes as we read through these, talk about these different um, pieces. Um, but one thing that exists that we might not have time to talk about um, is a conversation around um, the founding of this country um, and faith. And it's important to bring those up because Martin Luther King Jr. is both a preacher and a member in the public square, um, which is something that not many pastors, preachers today make are. Um, and honestly, that's it's kind of call it out. Um, there is a luxury to being either a public speaker or a preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a luxury that did not exist for Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. Um, and it was for him, those are directly connected the way our society moves and our, our conversation about democracy is directly related with um, leading his congregation uh, and his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as, and I, I think you probably know, you probably notice this uh, throughout these four pieces, Martin Luther King Jr. has such a deeply, like a, high, a deep and high value view of the United States constitution and declaration of independence and the. He's incredibly optimistic. Yes. About America. Yes. And, and the, 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 the depth of, of what those truths look like when they will be lived out. Um, and that doesn't mean he is celebrates all of the, Founding fathers, um, but it's also so clear, and we, like, we're not going to have time to talk about this. He actually goes out and, and speaks multiple times, uh, at least once in the, in the readings we went through, about you, don't don't think that you've caught me at a corner where I'm saying communism is the right thing. Um, <laughs> and he then talks about the the way in which the communist views was based off of this thinker who was impacted by that thinker who led to that thinker and democracy is this. And, and yet he, he, he calls out democracy talks about the I at the cost of the, the we mm-hmm. and communism talks about the we at the cost of the I. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, this idea, and this is so innate to Martin Luther King jr. And, and I don't think the wording shows up in, in any of the four that we chose of the beloved community. Mm. That's, it's such a putting my, bring my hands together. It's it's just (laughs) such, it it embraces much of what King is talking about in this foundation. Mm. I, we're going to move on to the next in a few minutes. Um, A few more quotes. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, 
but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God, or as as Paul writes, co-heirs with Christ. The time is always right, ripe to do right. Uh, also the, the bit where he talks about being labeled an extremist, uh, <laughs> because in the, in the call for unity, um, from the, the group of pastors, uh, that he's responding to, they label his actions as extreme and he says originally that he is a little disappointed that they labeled them as extreme, but the more he thought about it, um, you know, the more he was happy to be called a, an extremist because, uh, you know, in his case, he, he's an extremist for love as, mm-hmm. as Jesus was. Mm-hmm. And um, he talks about the, you know, how the you know the righteous frustration and anger and discontent um can be channeled into the creative outlet of nonviolent direct action and now this approach is being termed extremist <laughs> interestingly enough hunter do you know um what person um outside of jesus that Martin Luther King Jr. got the idea of nonviolent um, direct action from? Was it Gandhi? It was Gandhi. He, he spent a lot of time, um, I think he actually met Gandhi. Um, I think that they crossed paths just briefly, but I might be mistaken there. But he spent a lot of time watching, listening, reading, um, and, and seeing the impact of Gandhi's um, nonviolent direct action. Um, and then the way that that changed an entire country, an entire world. Um, and understood it through, and then took time to understand it through the lens of Christ um, and Jesus's nonviolent direct action that happened on Earth. Like, and yeah, that's one way of viewing things, and but very true. So, you were going to say more. I I stepped in. No, I, I was just going to keep reading the <laughs> paragraph about being an extremist. Um, but in all honesty. I think that this is a letter that deserves to be read mm-hmm. at least once a year. Um, mm. I know I'm going to be doing that um, yeah. you know, every Martin Luther King Day and as often as I need to. <laughs> I don't know if you notice it. Um, there are so many things that he talks about in this writing that just come up throughout the other pieces. Like this is yeah. like a fundamental core values to Martin Luther King Jr., yeah, and some really uh, incisive uh, critiques mm, uh, mm-hmm. of society and the church um, in America. I mean, one of the things that jumped out to me was how he was greatly disappointed in the churches um, because they really didn't support his his actions. And he says that the church, you know, I long for the day when the church used uh, used to be 
not just a thermometer for public opinion. Uh, I long for the day when it was a powerful thermostat. That transformed the mores of society. Yeah. Martin Luther King is not speaking as somebody who's disenfranchised with the church, which there are many people at his day and many people, maybe many even more in our day, um, who raised in the church or not, who are disenfranchised with the church. Martin Luther King Jr. is speaking from, speaking from a space of deep love, commitment, and belief in the church. Yeah. And in what the church can and should be. And, and the way Martin Luther King understands and describes and the places where he's bringing them from, like from what the church is, is this beloved community that people long to be part of under both. And I, you and I have read the book irresistible Um, (laughs) that talks about what the church should be. Um, Francis Chan wrote a book called uh, letters to the church Mm -hmm. that talks about what the church could be. There is a, the church and Jesus like are, are should be irresistible. And, and when they are lived out in a way that is indicative and, and true to the calling and to the work of the Holy Spirit, um, not through human love. Yes. And so we've walked through most of it. Uh, I had two other pieces I wanted to quote before we kind of dive to the next one. Uh, are you okay if I, I jump into those? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, because you did not just bring uh, a letter from Birmingham jail. You yes. also brought three other speeches. Yes. And so I, I, I had planned to spend the most time on this. So okay. it might be 50% this time and 50% on the others. Um, just because of, I, I think this is so, when I read books, Hunter, um, specifically for academic purchase purposes, I spend... 10 to 20% of my time reading the um, introduction Hmm. or the prologue forward. What? The forward forward. Yeah. I mean, those are usually tied together. Um, The reason I do that is because I believe when you fully understand a well-written prologue, it's a roadmap to what's coming. Um, when in, in Macbeth, we talked about the first sentence of Shakespeare tells the story. Yeah. And a well-written prologue does that. And, and this isn't the first thing he's written. It wasn't, you know, but I think that the next three things we'll talk about that this is in many ways, a type of prologue to what, what we will read. A well-written prologue because I, uh, more, def, more so with with fiction, I guess I tend to skip the forwards and just go straight into it, mm-hmm. because a lot of times if you have a classic novel, they'll spoil the the plot. They'll um, talk about how important and amazing the work is, and it's really just so much more boring than reading the actual. It's like by the time you've gotten to the the actual novel, you're like kind of annoyed and <laughs> frustrated and. Um, so, so I just skip it usually, but as you said, a well-written prologue mm-hmm. can do so much more. Yes. Um, the last couple of things I want to talk about. Um, the first is 
Martin Luther King Jr. is of the opinion that the ends do not justify the means. Hmm. And that is one of the pieces about him that was so purposeful in everything he did and why he did it. And it wasn't just him. And so we talk about Martin Luther King. There are many other people that were involved in this, and then he quotes them and talks about them. But it means that he's thinking about the means at all points. Uh, and it, it, honestly, it makes him very radical. It makes him extreme. Because here, here he writes, Over the past few years, I have consistently preached that nonviolence demands that the means we use must be as pure as the ends we seek. I have tried to make clear that it is wrong to use immoral means to attain moral ends. But now I must affirm that it is just as wrong, or perhaps even more so, to use moral means to preserve immoral ends. We, we think about the end doesn't justify the means as, as the, the, what, if you do something wrong to make something right, like that's not okay. Um, but he's, he's saying is if you do something right to protect something that's wrong, that's also not okay. And he talks about it, uh, his willingness to undergo prison and ultimately death um, in in the means as in the pursuit of the means as well as the ends. Yeah. And th- I joked at the beginning about it being a type of Pauline letter. Um, cause it's written from prison. Right. It's got this beautiful introduction. It calls out people. It dives into the, 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 the depths in a very specifically rooted to that community. And then it, it's conclusion also follows out of a Pauline letter. You, you read a little bit of it beforehand. Uh, it's from where he's writing it, writing from jail, just like Paul wrote many of his letters. Then he goes on, and, and I'm going to read the last two paragraphs. No worries. They're short. Um, if I have said anything in this letter that overstates the truth and indicates as an unreasonable impatience, I beg you to forgive me to the, the church leaders. If I have said anything that understates the truth, and indicates my having a patient that patience that allows me to settle for anything less than brotherhood. I beg God to forgive me. I hope this letter finds you in strong faith, strong in the faith. I also hope that circumstances will soon make it possible for me to meet each of you, not as an integrationist or a civil rights leader, but as a fellow clergyman and a Christian brother. That's like almost verbatim from a Pauline letter. <laughs> um, let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away when the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not-too-distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation with all their scintillating beauty. Hmm. Yours in the cause of peace and brotherhood, Martin Luther King Jr. Andrew, do you ever get the feeling that the podcast we do is almost an unnecessary repetition of <laughs> like of deep truth of our attempt at understanding deep truths that are evident in different stories and storytellers? Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe. I 
it's a uh, i i think of the podcast as um like a really fun college class <laughs> you, you don't get you don't have a grade you could choose what you study you know it's like auditing a class uh i like that and uh you know like cuz i miss i miss learning I, I don't mm-hmm. I don't miss I don't miss like having it from a fire hose and like just not being able to sleep because I have so much work to do. But uh you know I, I miss I'm still I still writing essays uh <laughs> because you know essays help you learn and I think I think that's what we kind of try and do. We we try to learn uh and, and go deeper into art uh, as and storytellers, um, you know, as, as something more than just, uh, entertainment. Okay. I appreciate that. That's, that's a much, that's true. And it's a much, uh, more nuanced and positive view. (laughs) I mean, and I think that, yes, yes. I mean, if nothing else, I, I hope that, you know, we do so many quotes and things. Uh, I, I just hope it encourages people to just go read it mm-hmm. uh, and, and, yeah. and engage with it. And that's ultimately more important to me than, than you know, people listening all the way that's through true. to the podcast. And actually from that, if if you want to listen to one of these but are like, oh, I only have 10 minutes, oh, first, shame on you. Um, make more time in your schedule. Um, but second, um, the shortest piece, which is what we'll talk about next, is I Have a Dream. Um, it's also the most well-known piece of what he spoke because it was spoken. Um, oh, this, this is a stupid. Now I like zone out, like tune out in that space. It's spoken from um, the footsteps of what the Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. Um, there's actually a, a little plaque. I found it. Connection with with Martin Luther King in my eighth grade um, field trip to Washington D.C. Um, there's a little plaque that says, "And here, um, Martin Luther King spoke. You know, delivered his address." I found that while I was at the Abraham Lincoln at Lincoln Memorial, and like, it meant something to me before I even like knew why. I'm just kind of reflecting on that now. Um, and so this is, I think it's like six minutes and 80, 38 seconds or something. It's a very, very short speech. And actually from, from my memory, um, I think a large part of it like was not planned. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, had like actually had a dream the night mm-hmm. beforehand that like led him to change some of the stuff he had planned to write. And so, wow. um, not all of it, but, but some of it, um, <laughs> And so actually, I'm, this one, you might hear more praise rustling. I'm reading from a book called I Have a Dream, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., forward by Coretta Scott King, his wife. And it's an illustrated edition um, mm. with pieces from 15 different um, with f- from 15 different art- artists. Can you, uh, at the end, just give me all the um, like detailed information about the books that you're using? Definitely. So yeah, we can this link one, them I mean, show these pictures, Hunter. Wow. They're stunning. Uh, and it yeah. walks through the speech. I actually was giving it to, was speaking it to my son uh, before I went to bed. 
actually today we listened to about two hours and 10 minutes worth of Martin Luther King Jr. together um, speaking. Um, there are many aspects of this that we could talk about. I think um, one of the pieces that makes Martin Luther King Jr. such an incredible storyteller um, is his ability to craft the English language. Um, and you know, both in telling history, um, but then in the, the runs, that's kind of what pastors I was with, like used to call them, um, where you start like speaking a little faster and having more repetition of words, right? So let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightened Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from the stone mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from the lookout mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. In the tradition of Augustine and many of the, the ancient sources that, that King cites, uh, he was a great orator. Are there, are there any specific points about, about I have a dream that, that you'd like to share that maybe we don't, we don't think about as much or aren't quoted as much, but yeah. Um, one of the themes throughout King's work that is, is, is clear here is it continues a conversation about justice, uh, and justice and injustice and what they are and the, the injustice that exists in our nation, um, and then another theme that we'll really see brought out in the third and fourth piece that we talk about um, is around the economy and around finances. Um, he talks about um, being uh, the Negro being given a, a bad check mm. by the United States. Yeah. Um, like a promissory note that all men are created equal and the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet, when you look at the the reality of of where he was speaking, uh, and and he dives into it more in his, in his the next speech we'll talk about, um, that isn't hasn't been followed through. Mm. Um, and so those are a couple that I think are really important. And then that's just the other and piece he, that we need. Sorry. Uh, connected to that. One of the ones phrases that I wrote down is he said that we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. Mm. When he talks about the bad check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had also noted 
I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, is talking injustice, please, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. Hmm. That's kind of the other theme. And then let's just talk about it before we go on to the next one. You cannot. What do people remember about I Have a Dream? I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I got chills and and that's another theme that he talks about from right right from the letter from Birmingham jail. Right? He talks about his kids and he gives this example of like having to tell his daughter, no, you can't. Like, you know, that commercial for that uh, <laughs> for that park, you can't go to there because you're not white. Yeah, that that was one part that um hit me different this time as the father of a two and a half year old son. Um, just thinking about the look of despair that he gets sometimes when <laughs> we tell him no, uh, or, um, you know, he can't do something that he really wanted to do. And I just, I can't imagine having to explain try to explain to him that he can't he can't do something because of the color of his skin please read <laughs> letter from birmingham jail yeah <laughs> it's, i i could quote the whole thing i could just read the whole thing it would take about as long as we've been talking so far um because it's just you need time to process it and it that whole piece about fun town being closed. And it's just what well, you just shared Hunter. Yes. And, yes, and that. you know, why, why they can't wait, you know, mm. because oftentimes the, mm-hmm. the, the cry of the white moderate is wait. And, you know, the, the, there are many, many reasons why the time is, is now, um, and and he very eloqu- eloquently lists them and and makes the case. So Hunter, we're going to dive into the next piece. Um, so I'm putting the, the the picture book away and moving <laughs> on to Beyond Vietnam. Nope, we're moving past Beyond Vietnam. Listen to Beyond Vietnam if you haven't had the chance. It's it's also will hit you. Um, so I'm actually going to be. I'm currently looking at two books now for where do we go from here? Um, both of which I've separately annotated and read and delved into. Um, let me talk a little bit about what, where, where do we go from here is and, and kind of why we're reading it uh, or why we listen to it. Where do we go from here is a, a speech Martin Luther King Jr. gave to the Southern, Co- Southern Christian Le- Leadership Conference on its 10th anniversary. Um, and it is a, a conversation about where they have been in the last 10 years, really more specifically where we've been in the last year, 
the wins that have happened and the movement that's going. Um, in it, he also takes times to focus on the concern for the poor, the financially poor specifically, and continues to speak for and under he continues to communicate that he is against segregation and that he is for unconditionally nonviolence and a Christian love ethic ethic. Um, and at this point in this speech and, and, and I don't know if we'll touch on it too much um, he spends a lot of time talking about specifically economics. Um, and this is actually a transition that kind of you start to see. And and I'm, Andrew, did you did you notice this kind of from the, in like we skipping four or five years ahead? Um, mm. All of a sudden, the last two we talked to, we're going to talk about these speeches. There's a lot more conversation about the economy, about mm. money. Did you notice that? Yeah, I I did notice the part in where do we go from here? How he says that the that that black america in his time is really one of the richest people in the world um you know obviously at that time poorer than white america um but globally um they were they were richer and they have an incredible power together the ninth richest country in the world at yeah. the time. And he goes through and starts naming them. Mm-hmm. The the equivalent of the ninth richest. Right. Yeah. And he talks about uh, Operation Breadbasket specifically um, within mm-hmm. it. Um, and Hunter, uh, I want to really call this out. Um, I feel like I hear and have heard the statement, and this might come across as... as like something that I shouldn't be saying. And so I want to say that. Um, I have heard the statement that the, the experience for black and other non-white Americans today in 2023 is no better than it was 60 years ago. And even taking the moment to read these, re- listen to these speeches and I, I listened to them. I didn't reread them. I, I chose to listen to them. Um, And the experiences, and, and like talking, thinking about Birmingham and these pieces, like where things were, and the legislation that was passed, and, and the and I, I will not say, and what I'm not saying is that it's inherently better in every way now than it, it has been. But even hearing King's words about the progress that is made. It has been made in the 10 years of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, um, both in very specific places, and he calls out specific places, um, but then across the country, like, there there is progress. We are still not there by any means as a country, um, as a world, um, <laughs> but definitely as a country. Um, yeah. But there has been movement. And, and we saw that in 2020 with different um, what's the right word 
2020 and 21 with court cases mm. and different punishments for, uh, in different cases, police officers. Mm. Um, we saw it in churches and I can say for myself, I saw it in, in, in two different churches I was part of in two different states. Um, both of which, one of which was predominantly white, which one, one of which was not, um, but what, from a predominantly white grouping of churches, both churches making the active decision to take steps into speaking on behalf and listening and apologizing and repenting of past sins that had been committed, um, in their neighborhood in particular against non-white um, men, women, and children. Um, and these are, these are churches that I think would have been part of the white moderate and, and maybe still are. Um, and yet those decisions were made and they, they weren't just made flippantly. Mm-hmm. They're made very purposefully. Um, and so I, 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 I really do believe that there have been things that have changed. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that that means change needs to end. I, I think Martin Luther King Jr. Was, were alive today. He would be continuing to push us forward. Um, I believe he said, I, I don't know if it's in this one or a different one. He said, you know, uh, one of the greatest tragedies would be to stop here. Mm-hmm. You know, as as far as, you know, the progress that they made, the stir that they caused, and uh, you know, the votes and everything, but that yes. it would be a great tragedy for them to have come this far, and then to have stopped. That that might be in. I've been to the mountaintop. Yes, but, um, yes, it is. And what one of the things that makes this a, a different piece in the last two we've list, we've gone through is not only the, the specific history being told, but it, this is spoken to an internal audience. Actually, this one and the final one we're talking about, I've been to the no- mountaintop, aren't spoken to the widespread United States. They're spoken specifically to people that have been in the journey with him. Um, and that is what a, what a beautiful opportunity to be able to kind of enter into like the keynote speak uh, speaker of a, of a conference. I mean, that's kind of what we're, what we're doing in this, in this particular, this particular piece. Um, and so there's a lot of specific names and specific examples and they're awesome. Um, I don't know about you, but like the, the, the piece where he's talking about um, Cincinnati, Ohio, I think it was, or or, or so Cleveland. Um, sorry, I'm a Bills fan. We're playing the Bengals, uh, Cincinnati on, on Sunday, so Cincinnati's on my mind. Um, but talking about Cleveland, and I think it was the seal, the seal, um, seal test, seal test, uh, a specific brand of whatever, and yeah. um, this a large part of this is what does it look like to use your finances. And you use the use nonviolent direct action as a means. Nonviolent direct action, and this is a thing that actually I think is a, is a transition. Nonviolent direct action 
along with um, uh, directly in, in hand in hand with um, economic withdrawal, um, which is what happened with the bus boycott. So you know, maybe not, maybe just more of a, a step, maybe not a huge step, but a small step um, to change economic systems. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is where that statement of, you know, we represent the ninth largest um, you know, financial system in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. Ninth wealthiest. Yeah. As, as black Americans. And this is an amazing example where um, they're able to use those pieces in conjunction to boycott all of these particular products and then go each actually to all the different stores in this Cleveland area and boycott and tell the owners, we're going to boycott your store if you don't remove this. And this huge brand, and I, I wish I could remember the names of all these off the top of my head, and I can't. Um, this huge store, um, like which represents multiple, um, you know, hundreds of, of chains, makes that made that it like, didn't, and all of a sudden the next day, um, you know, yeah, um, they got a call, A and P, A and P. Um, the next day, Mister A and P, the owner, um, was calling on us. Uh, and Bob Brown, who is here on our board at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and who is a public relations man representing a number of firms, came in. They called him in because he worked for A&P also, and they didn't know he worked for us too. <clears throat> Bob Brown sat down with A&P and he said, that, and he said, they said, now, Mr. Brown, what would you advise us to do? He said, I would advise you to take seal test products off all of your counters. Follow what you know, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference is saying. AMP agreed next day not to only take seal test products off of the counters in the ghetto, but off of the counters of every store, AMP store in Cleveland. And they said to seal test, if you don't reach an agreement with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and Operation Breadbasket, we will take seal test products off of every AMP story store in the state of Ohio. The next day, the next day, the SEAL test people were talking nice. They were very humble. <laughs> and, I, and then he talks about like the, the economic impact of that and the being pushed. Ah. The problem that we face is, we also said to SEAL test, the problem that we face is that the ghetto is a domestic colony that's constantly drained without being replenished. And you are always telling us to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. And yet we are being robbed every day. Put something back in the ghetto. So along with our demand for jobs, we said, we also demand you put money in the Negro Savings and Loan Association. And you take ads, advertise, um, advertise in the in Cleveland Call and Post, the Negro newspaper. What an incredible way way to, to uh, he talks about those and people are like okay like well what about that faith thing right um, and he talks about that in different parts so I'm, I'm gonna get there in a moment but what an incredible way to use to live out like the values 
like the the deepest values of our country <laughs> in yeah. a way that brings people together and makes a statement that calls out the economic powerhouses of the day. We are so easily thinking, and it's so easy to think in, in whenever we are, it's like right now, that what we're experiencing has never been experienced before. Right? Hunter, you brought up Amazon earlier, the multi-billion dollar company, and the new, mm-hmm. all these examples. And we think about, oh, they have a monopoly, all these things, we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Like it's, you know, with the little guy and all these pieces. And it's, it's easy to get into this, this, this repetition. And, and we think that, and then, um, and then we read something like this and like very specific, and this is just one example. And, and, and one of the reasons that where do we go from here is so important for us to talk about is I think it does a great job of taking the, the mythos around Martin Luther King Jr. as this like non-human <laughs> is this essence and grounds him in the reality of a specific time and, and what a group of people together. And he was the, the, the clear face and leader, um, Hillman, Ralph Abernathy, um, very clear. Uh, also Ralph Abernathy's came, name came up in at least two, if not three of the pieces we read today. Mm-hmm. Um, but Martin Luther King Jr. Like, he, you just see the specific examples in the way in which he didn't just call out the failings of democracy and the failings of the South and of our country. He spoke focus in on what does it look like in this specific situation and he talks about Chicago and he starts by saying, we haven't had any huge wins. And then he talks about these wins that I'm like, those feel like huge wins to me. Um, and and yet, uh, and you know, this is where I started. We still face these problems today, um, and this is where where this piece of, of it, it, the journey's not over. Um, there's a quote that Martin Luther King Jr. shares that's, that's deeply embedded in me. You've heard me say it before, Hunter, um, and I thought it was in. Um, Letter from Birmingham Jail. It's not. It's actually in a different speech he gave, which we didn't uh, listen to. Um, and it's the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Hmm. And what I love most about that um, is that the reason Martin Luther King Jr. can say that and believe that and know that to be true is because of Jesus. It's because the justice has entered the universe. Mm. Uh, and we talk about our faith, I, 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 but I, I'm not going to try and dive too, too, too push deep into that. And, and maybe we will at some point. Um, The moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I was uh, struck listening to his speeches and and reading the letter 
And maybe this is a good transition to I've been to the mountaintop. I was struck by how hopeful he is and how hopeful his tone is mm -hmm. and how optimistic he is about the future of peace and brotherhood mm -hmm. in our country. Mm -hmm. Which is something that I have sorely missed hmm. in a lot of what I have read and, and listened to and seen about what's going on in our country. And I haven't been the best at, at keeping track of everything, but he was filled with hope. Mm -hmm. And, um, now we come to I've been to the mountaintop. <laughs> yeah, well, and and let me add add a, a quote to to lead into that from from um, where do we go from here? Because I think it dives directly into what you're saying and will lead us into that piece. Because the way he ends one of the, the way he ends the speech or towards the end is he talks about the United States needing to be born again. Mm. And and the whole structure must be changed. And he takes that from a conversation Jesus had with he was with Nicodemus. Um, yeah. He's like, how can I be born again? And he and he talks about what needs to be dis born again. And and that's where the hope comes from, Hunter. And, and and this is the piece where whenever anybody might argue, like, oh, you know, it doesn't have faith. He's because um, that's what I hear. Um, they're not, you're, you haven't done an, an appropriate and a gracious reading of, of Martin Luther King Jr. Cause you can't have hope in a broken system. If you don't believe there's something or someone outside of that system that can fundamentally change it. And Martin Luther King Jr. Didn't think that he alone could change the system. And he didn't think the system needed to be changed. He thought it needed to be reborn. Mm. And it wasn't that he didn't believe in the, the deep um, written roots of our country. Because in fact, he did. Deeply. S stay true to what you put down on paper is what he says. One of the quotes that I've been thinking about from I've been to the mountaintop talking about the founding fathers and the constitution. Um, stay true to what you put down on paper. I've been to the mountaintop is the final speech Martin Luther King Jr. gave in his life. It is one of the most prophetic things out of the outside of the Bible that I have ever heard <laughs> or written or read. I haven't, I haven't written it. Um, and in it, he talks about the, um, Memphis, um, sanitary, uh, worker strike, sanitation worker strike. Um, and he talks about economic pieces of it, but it's not just about that as Hunter was talking about. And so while that's going on, he dives into this, this optimism that, there are people that could call out Martin Luther King Jr. and think that part of the theme of his life is that he was moving closer towards Malcolm X and Malcolm X was moving closer towards Martin Luther King Jr. And there might be some 
as- there's some aspects of that that there's truth. Um, and actually, a large part of that is Malcolm X's his life and his views on, on brotherhood and things of that were changing pretty significantly. But at no point did Martin Luther King Jr. change away from his faith, change away from his views of nonviolent direct action, change away from his his views in the possibilities of America specifically to be a place where this dream is realized. And I shared earlier that Martin Luther King Jr. would be one of my top three people to, to meet in world history. And it was partially under because of the way that he begins at Been to the Mountaintop. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> where he stands at the beginning of time. And God asks him, Martin Luther King, which age would you like to live in? And he says, I would take my mental flight by Egypt through, or rather across the Red Sea, through the wilderness on towards the promised land. And in spite of its magnificence, I wouldn't stop there. I would move on by Greece and take my mind to Mount Olympus, and I would see Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Euripides, and Aristophanes assembled around the Pantheon as they discussed the great and eternal issues of reality. But I wouldn't stop there. I would go on even to the great heyday of the Roman Empire, and I would see developments around there through various emperors and leaders but I wouldn't stop there. And he goes through the Renaissance to Lincoln, 1863, and the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. And then he says, Strangely enough, I would turn to the Almighty and say, If you allow me to live just a few years in the second half, of the 20th century, I will be happy. That's a strange statement, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. Something is happening in our world. The masses of people are rising up, and wherever they are assembled today, the cry is always the same. We want to be free. Thanks for reading that, Hunter. Please go listen to the whole thing. I, I paraphrase some because <laughs> it's it, it's it just he, he was a great orator, and uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful speech. Thank you for bringing this, Eric. I'm getting chills again. I, the repetition of "but I wouldn't stop there." The way he communicates that the 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 ability to point out specific points in history that means so much to him, right? He quotes Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. He, he's <laughs> named after Martin Luther. He, you know, thinks about the Renaissance thinkers. He's, you know, deeply rooted in the United States history with the emancipation proclamation. And then he speaks about seeing that God is working in this 
period of the 20th century in a way that men in some strange way are responding. And he ends kind of one of this section with this statement. It is no longer a choice between violence and nonviolence in this world. It's nonviolence or non-existence. That is where we are today. And and there's a few other pieces of this, Hunter, and, and please jump into um, the, the prophetic nature of it. Um, you know, now I'm just happy to see that God, happy that God has allowed me to live in this period, to see what is unfolding, and I'm happy that he's allowed me to be in Memphis. Uh, we'll get to more in, in a little bit later, because it's, it's, wait, and this is like, um, <laughs> that was my brain. Um <laughs> I, I I love the part where he talks about how uh, the New York Times wrote. Uh, I think he was he was stabbed at a book signing. Yes, and, yes, yes. Uh, uh. It, it, the knife came close to his aorta, and the New York Times wrote that if he had sneezed, uh, he would have died um, because the knife would have would have hit his aorta. He would have bled out, and he got a letter um, from a a white girl, young white girl, she wrote in and she said, I am so glad you didn't sneeze. And Martin Luther King says, I too am glad that I did not sneeze. That That, that is one of those pieces that always gets me to tears. Um, uh, and let's just hit on a couple of these pieces that have been so clear. We've talked about these themes. Um Hunter, uh, he, he also talks about, uh, continues to bring up his faith. And he brings up the Jericho Road. And this the story, the parable, the story of a good Samaritan, um, which, if you don't know, is was one of the greatest stories in human history. It's, it, it, it just is. And it has impacted you know, over thousands of years. Um, and in this story, there's, there's, uh, there are three people that, that cross the uh, path of a, a, a beaten up man on the side of the road who's almost dead. And the priest and the Levite pass by, these religious leaders. And then a Samaritan who is different race, race ethnicity, background. I've, I've heard it argued today, like this is like a a member of ISIS stopping and taking care of a Jewish rabbi or the United States president. Yeah. Yeah. The <laughs> relations between um, Jewish people and Samaritans at the time were violent. <clears throat> and, and Martin Luther King talks about, you know, the, these people passing these two been passing and, and he says you know, you know there's been a lot of theories about why it might be and one of the things i always just die laughing he's like, like it might be that they were they, they passed him because they're on their way to a, a a meeting about improving the quality of the jericho road uh committee <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, we don't know but the ultimate aspect of it um sphere yes and, and what he what he talks about is changing the narrative. And dang it, my version doesn't have it. Um, this is really annoying to me. Um, the, the 
what the good, the Samaritan did is he flipped the script. The priest and Levite asked the question, what will happen to me if I help this person? And the Samaritan asked the question, what will happen to this person if I don't help him? Hmm. And that's what he calls the group in Memphis to do. And honestly, that's what he's calling us. And this is a a takeaway that I think is, is paramount to to Martin Luther King Jr. And and one of the things, questions, the, the types of questions that the ways of thinking that is, has and will continue to impact my life. and, And I think our world, and I hope it does is asking this question and the white moderate very specifically, right? Not asking, Instead of asking the question, what will happen to me if I help this person? What will happen to me if I say that, you know, stand up for that um, within my family? Or, um, you know, if I call that out for being what it is. But flipping and asking, what will happen to that person, those, that group of people, my brother, that whoever it might be or whatever it might be, if I don't. Hmm. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We're in a a time where half the world sneezes and the rest of us catches a cold. Like, what does it? What does it mean to not stand by idly and say, "Oh yeah, that's an issue." No, and I get it. Compassion fatigue. It's so hard to do so much. And then, and you're like, oh, Eric, you're doing empty platitudes and you're kind of going off just like you did with Tolkien because clearly you've got a crush on this guy and, and, and everything he says. And, and like, you know, there's, there's some truth in that. Um, but what does it look like to stand up on behalf of others, um, to raise their voices, um, to speak when something needs to be said? Uh, and to care less about what's going to happen up to you than about what's going to happen to your brother, to your sister, to your friend, to your neighbor. And and that's what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. Hmm. It is about this question of who, what does it look like to be a neighbor? What does it look like to love deeply? What does it look like to stand unified with someone even though they're maybe completely different and you have nothing in common. And it is radical. I heard it said recently that the Good Samaritan parable of the Good Samaritan was just about being nice. And it's from a, a very well-known thinker um, on his podcast. And it was a gross misreading <laughs> of the Good Samaritan. It's kind of like when Martin Luther King uh, is talking about Nietzsche getting it wrong. Um, been talking about power because Nietzsche never understood what Christian love looks like. Mm-hmm. And then talking about Christian leaders getting it wrong when attacking Nietzsche because they used Nietzsche's view about Christian love as their understanding of it and then created this, this, this duality of power and love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when in reality, King's arguing for what is power look like when it's lived out through love and the way that that transforms and like Jesus was full of power 
and continues to be full of power through the Holy Spirit. Mm. And live that out in a love that toppled an empire. It toppled kingdoms, thinkers, leaders, ways of life. Like early Christianity, early Christians ended in infanticide. <laughs> yeah. I have I have a question I'd like to ask. Uh, yes. Before I do, uh, I, was, I was wondering if there are any more pieces from uh, I've been the, been to the mountaintop or other speeches or writings that you'd like to share before we end. Yeah. There's only one thing. And I want to read the last paragraph of his last speech. I've been to the mountaintop. And and I've talked to a couple times about the prophetic nature. And this comes after he talked about getting on a plane in Atlanta and then taking extra time to go through all the baggage and all these things. Cause Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was on, on board and they're, being active threats against his life. And there's a lot of arguments that um, there's thoughts that this might be related to his views on his push for ec- economic change and his calling out Vietnam, the war in Vietnam. And he was very vocal about saying the war in Vietnam is wrong. Silence um, is betrayal. And, and so after that, he's right. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I talked early on about the um, kind of the Pauline aspect of Martin Luther King in the letter from Birmingham jail. This is Moses. That's how Moses' life ends. Um, Because of the sin he had against God, he wasn't able to get to the promised land. But he saw it. He was on a mountaintop, seeing the promised land, even though he knew he couldn't get there. But he knew that his people, one day, after an entire generation would pass away, and many other things would happen, would get there. Hmm. And that final paragraph... gives me hope. I, 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 I think those words are still being lived out and still coming true today. And I know for a fact, Hunter, that you and I and our brothers and sisters in Christ from all tribes, tongues, and nations will one day live in a world free of all the isms where justice reigns. And I know that part of our life, 
part of living as part of the church is to see that happen on earth as it is in heaven. Hmm. Not through our own power, but through the whole power of the Holy Spirit and through Christ's work in our lives. Amen. So you had a question. Yeah, I had a question. <laughs> After that ending, I'm not sure how I could top the ending. Find a better, I'm not sure how we could find a better ending. But my question was, what are some practical things that we can do to be extremists for love um, like Martin Luther King Jr. in, in 2023 and, and be a part of that, that vision. So Hunter, I, I am still learning what this looks like. Um, and, and uh, Melanie and I have actively joined a church um, that is further down the road than us, um, like uh, down this road than us, so we can mm. learn more. And so I'm not a person with with all the answers, or or I'd even say many of the answers. Um, but I think that there's always the opportunity to listen and learn. Um, and. And it said to me once by a professor, I came up to him after the class and it's like, Hey, like, I just feel like, like it's, it's the top of what I can do to like really follow the discussion. And like, by the time I have something to say, it's like 10 minutes later, we're on to something else. And he said, you can be an active part of this discussion without speaking. Hmm. And so I think taking the time to li- listen and to learn, um, listening to voices of people that you normally wouldn't, um, going out of your and and they could be from you know Twitter or they could be from a century ago, um, uh, and and hearing voices and 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 that's a large part of our podcast, right? We yeah. we've we've tried and and we've continued to um, to to listen to stories and storytellers from many walks of life. Um, and I'm sure we, we've, we've failed in that. And, and but you know, we've, we've that that's one thing you can do. I think that that's a really big thing. And I think that that's not talked about often. Mm. Um, and I, I think that one of the things that will happen when you take time to listen and reflect on that is that you'll start to see and understand things. Or see, and, and hear things, see and hear things that just don't quite make sense. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. talks about the ghettos um, and talks about economic pieces and talks about the news and what's shared and what's not. And that's a large part of the narrative, what's happening to many of our black and brown brothers and sisters throughout our country. Um and like the neighborhood that I live in, like we, we purposely chose to live in the city um, and 
you know, in and around a specific neighborhoods so we could pour into our neighbors, not because we're people with the answers, um, but because we want to get to know our neighbors and to live intentionally. Um, and we've heard a lot of things said about the city of, of Rochester where we live that are not based in a holistic view. Um, if you, if you, so take time to think about that. Um, are your views on the, the city near you or the group of people near you or the immigrants at the border or the refugee or, you know, this group or that group based off of one viewpoint or are they based off a holistic, a more holistic understanding? Um, and so that's what's caused me to think of at times of like, like, Hey, like there are a lot of counter narratives that are happening under the, under the surface. Um, a lot of incredible community events that are happening that aren't communicated. Um, building relationships is huge. Um, not forcing it, but taking time to build relationships um, where you're doing a lot of listening. Um, yeah. Authentic relationships, mutually transforming relationships, not one-sided relationships. You're not there to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and like understanding that it is a lot for many of our non-white brothers and sisters to, it takes a lot to share and feel like they have to hold a burden of answering questions about race and about lived experience. And so understanding that and going about that in a way that is full of honesty and openness, um, taking time to support, choosing to support um, women owned and um, black owned businesses can be huge. Um, finding ways to use use your finances purposefully. Um, those are just a few kind of thoughts off the top of my head that I've tried to add into my life and, and I'm still learning a lot about. As are we all. <laughs> Thank you for for bringing this to the podcast uh, and and. Um, you know, bringing all of the hours that you have put in studying in class and outside of class and many conversations, I'm sure. Um, it has been really, really good for me to, to read and, and listen to Martin Luther King Jr. intentionally. Um, and, and I hope that, uh, because it's honestly, I hope you're already have turned the podcast off and uh, <laughs> <laughs> gone and actually listened, Martin Luther King Jr. Not to diminish um, uh, what you shared, Eric, but I agree. I agree. Uh, Hunter, thank you for jumping into this discussion again. I appreciate your honesty from the beginning about feeling like, oh, maybe this isn't the right you know thing, and and not feeling um, like. You know, and then just being willing to, to step into it. Um, yeah. I, I really hope that I've, I've, the, at least the words that I've shared have been um, true to a more holistic understanding of King Martin Luther King and, and, and an aspect of who he is. And obviously 
you can't get everything from four pieces. Right. Um, but I am so excited for the way that Martin Luther King will continue to impact my life and, and continue to impact our, our country. And I look forward to the day when I, uh, when you and I get to, to meet him, mm-hmm. um, to thank him and to um, offer a pleasing aroma to the Lord and Savior uh, through prayer and worship. Amen. Thank you.